This is Linux Reality, Episode 28, Linux-Friendly Hardware. Hello, everybody. My name is Chess Griffin. I'm the host of this podcast. If you're new to this show, I'd like to welcome you. This is a podcast aimed at new Linux users and at uh, uh, Windows and Macintosh users who maybe have never tried Linux but have thought about doing so. And if you're not new to the show, welcome back, everyone. Let's see, I've got a couple housekeeping items I wanted to mention up front. The first one is, this is kind of cool, the first one's uh, Dave Yates. He's the host of the Lotta Linux Links podcast, which is just a great, great podcast. I mean, it really is one of my favorites. Anyway, he and I have been invited to be on the Linux Link Tech Show on August 30th at 8.30. So I'm really excited about that Linux Link Tech Show, of course, I've mentioned several times. That's the, you know, that's just the, that's the gold standard of Linux podcasts as far as I'm concerned. They actually do, you know, their show is really live. So if you go to um, tllts.org uh, around 8.30 on Wednesday the, uh, on the 30th, you can uh, listen to the live stream. And then, of course, they will put up the MP3 or the AUG version of the show later that night or first thing the next morning. So you can, you know, you can download it later if you want to. But I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, you can come, you know, come listen. And in fact, they've got an IRC chat going on at the same time. So I'm going to log into the IRC as well. And it should just be really cool. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, so anyway, if you're interested, please, please check that out. And I encourage you to check out both of those podcasts. Like I said, they are just, they are my favorites. They are just, they are awesome. Uh, let's see. The other thing is I wanted to mention, I'm going to be out of town uh, the week of, of September 10th. So I will not be doing a show that week, but that does not mean there's not going to be a show. I've got something kind of kind of special, kind of exciting lined up, and I'm just going to kind of hold off on telling you all about that just a little bit later. So stay tuned. But I just kind of wanted to let you know about that ahead of time. All right, let's see. Last week we took a look at running uh, Windows applications on Linux. We looked at all sorts of virtualization stuff and all sorts of cool things like that. This week, I thought I'd cover something. I'd kind of go back to some more basics and uh, cover something that's been asked about in the Linux Reality forums. And I've also gotten several personal emails in the last week or two about this topic. And, and it's the idea of Linux-friendly hardware. You know, where do you go to find out what hardware to get that will be supported in Linux? First, though, let's check out some listener feedback. Message for you, son. Let's see, I got one audio feedback to play here, and this relates to the uh, question I had in the, in the uh, 27 and a half episode about which, which entry, or, you know, about the menu.lst file in Grub. In uh, menu.lst, there's going to be a default setting for the, the number that boots up in the list. So you just change the number to the number in order, like you might have a standard kernel, and then you might have a save kernel, then you might have Windows, and then you might have Macintosh, you know, whatever you have in the list. So choose the number, and then that number will boot first. So you look for the line in the menu.lst that says um, default, and then some sort of number. Cool. Well, that's great. Well, thank you very much. I knew that there was a way in Grub to set which one will boot you know, if you don't do anything, if you don't press any buttons or anything, and you can change the, you know, the timeout value on that, how far, you know, how long it counts down. So, but that's good to know about changing the boot order uh, with that setting. So thanks very much. Uh, let's see, I got an email here from a listener named Petri, and Petri wrote, 
Uh, I'm not a beginner with Linux, but I'm not pro either. Your podcast has been great because I know something about Linux, but there's always some little things that I don't know, uh, even on basic things. But after listening to your podcast, I know those things too. Uh, and he said he started to listen to podcasts, and he's on episode five and was asking questions about the Creative Commons license. And he gave me a link to his website. I guess he, he's a hobby photographer, and I'll mention that in a minute. But he goes on to say, I'm a hobby photographer and using Linux, so that would be a nice idea. Hope you will talk about photography and Linux and softwares on your podcast. I mean something like ImageMagic, GIMP, and working with photos on command line, etc. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks, Petri. That uh, website is uh, www.petrilopia.net. That's P-E-T-R-I-L-O-P-I-A.net. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But it's got some really fantastic, fantastic photos, just really cool nature, uh, some photos of lightning and the, like the sky and the sun and the moon, just some really beautiful, beautiful shots. And uh, Petri, yes, we are going to talk about uh, those types of applications on how to use, you know, photography and, and how to manage your photos and all that in Linux. So I do, I do plan to get to that. Um, that is definitely on my list. So just kind of hang in there. All right. Let's see. Then I got a message here from Luke and Luke says, uh, Chess, could you do a show on backups for Linux? I'm trying to find some way to do a full backup for my hard drive, but I don't know where I should look. Yes, definitely, Luke. That is another topic that we're going to cover. Couple, I'll throw out a couple possibilities for you just here very quickly. Uh, there's a project called Mondo Rescue. It's a, it's a, both a package and I believe there's a live CD as well that lets you, uh, back up your hard drive to some sort of external drive or external media. There's G4L, which stands for Ghost for Linux. It's kind of like the, the, is it Norton Ghost, I think? Anyway, the, the Windows Ghost program or McAfee ghost, I forget. Anyway, it's, it's like a, uh, you know, a, a hard drive ghosting program for Linux. And then of course, there's also, there's tons on the internet. There's tons of scripts using rsync. Uh, it, sometimes they'll go over SSH. Uh, there's, you know, or it'll create a tarball based on a directory or certain directories you, you list. I do, I do this as well. I've actually got a little rsync script that I run, rsync over SSH that syncs a bunch of directories between, you know, three different servers. You know, two I've got here at home and one off-site just for backup purposes, and it works really well. You do need to set up SSH first and exchange your keys to all the different uh, computers, you know, and, and get things set up so you don't need to use passwords. But if you set it up with the with the public and private keys, that it works really well. It works great. So I will cover that in more detail at some point. So thanks a lot, Luke. And let's see. I think that's it for right now, actually. Let's check out some listener tips. To start, press any key. Where's the any key? I see esk, katarl, and pig up. There doesn't seem to be any any key. Hi, Jeff. This is Corey from Indiana. I have a user tip for our community. I was really excited when I found out about this. Uh, I've been using SSH to um, gain remote access to my server, and I've had problems with uh, just browsing SSH uh, and being able to use those files directly. I remember you brought up the issue with the Samba shares, how that if you wanted to use those files, you actually needed to mount the shares. So I thought, well, why isn't there a mount for SSH? And in fact, there is. You'll need to install the package SSHFS, which is the SSH file system. Uh, that will also require uh, Fuse, F-U-S-E, uh, so I let both of those require through my favorite package manager, the Smart Package Manager. 
Um, and after doing so, I am able to say SSHFS space username at hostname colon the remote path I'd like to mount forward slash home forward slash username space and then the directory where you would like to mount to. Uh, and then uh, once that has mounted, you can use those files as if they were on your local file system or uh, any other mount for that matter. And then finally, to get rid of the mount, to unmount, you need to use the F user mount. Um, it looks like fuser mount minus U, and then the uh, the mount point that you used, your directory. So I uh, hope that helps. Uh, I was excited to use it, and then hopefully that'll be helpful for some others as well. Uh, really like the show. Uh, have really appreciated some of the things that I've gotten to to learn, um, and I appreciate the community who's surrounding this project. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one. Hey, Jess. This is Bill from Boston, Massachusetts, with a listener tip for people who are not so comfortable on the command shell. Since this podcast is directed at new Linux users, I'm assuming that most listeners are dual-booting with Windows. So I thought it would be good to point out a program called Sigwin, which is available at www.cy gwin.com Basically, it is a command shell for Windows. It might be more comfortable for new Linux users to get familiar with the shell commands inside of Windows. I find myself using it a lot because I am more familiar with Linux commands than with the Windows commands. Another resource I thought people should check out for command shell is www.linuxcommand.org a very simple guide to shell commands. Another thing that could prove useful for new Linux users not familiar with the command line are the gksu and gksudo commands, which launch a, a graphical interface, or GUI, for whatever program you're tr attempting to run. For example, let's say you want to run a program which requires root access, but you aren't familiar with the commands the program uses. So you can, you can simply type gksu space and the program you're attempting to run, and it will prompt you for your admin password. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to more episodes. Alright, so this week what I thought I'd do is talk about how to find Linux-friendly hardware, or just some resources, just some general concepts, things that I've kind of discovered through trial and error in, in trying to find, you know, hardware that works with Linux. And these are, these are pretty basic things, but, uh, you know, again, I think for brand new users, this is a question I've gotten several times by email and I've seen it in the forums, you know, what do you recommend for this or that? So basically the, the first thing I'd, I'd suggest, there's a couple of resources on the internet. Well, let me, let me even start before then or before that, you know, with Windows and with the Mac, uh, they, because those operating systems have more mind share, I guess you could say, uh, you can often go to the computer store and buy a piece of hardware and there'll be a label on the box, you know, compatible with Windows XP or compatible with Win uh, Mac OS X or something. Unfortunately, that's pretty rare with Linux. I've seen it once or twice, but it's pretty rare. So that means we've got to turn to other resources. And that means we have to turn to this great Linux community that's out there. I mean, all of the thousands or if not millions of Linux users all over the world have contributed their tips and thoughts and, 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 um, you know, their experiences with different pieces of hardware. And so that's where you've got to go to find whether or not something works. So 
the, the first thing I would do is there's two websites that you ought to go check out that attempts to create a database. And there's probably other sites as well, but these are the two that come to mind for me. The first one is linuxcompatible.org, and the other one is the hardware compatibility list at linuxquestions.org, which I've talked about before. Linuxquestions.org is that fantastic uh, Linux forum that's, uh, that's been around for, for, I don't know, five, six years. They have a hardware compatibility list that LinuxQuestions.org users uh, contribute to and and you know say whether something works or not. And the, and the LinuxCompatible.org site does the same thing. At first blush, it doesn't look like the LinuxCompatible.org has been updated all that recently. But if you go to their database and you click on, I think one of the columns is uh, you know date added or something like that or date modified. If you click on that, then it will resort the list based on you know, most recent entries or most recent updates, and then you'll see that it's pretty current as far as I can tell. So I would check out those two places first. And the other really important thing is, of course, go to the, the forms or the documentation for your distribution. That's, that's really easy. I mean, that's a great way to find out whether something works. You know, if you're using Ubuntu, go to the Ubuntu forums, and let's say you've got a particular wireless card or something, and you don't know if it works, just type that card in. Type in the make or the model number of that card and browse the forums and see what other people say. If you, you're always good to see some people with problems with hardware. I mean, generally speaking, the people who have things working are not going to post in the forums. It's only the people who can't get something to work. But what's important is to kind of look beyond that and kind of see, well, first of all, see if they were able to resolve the issue, you know, in the forums. Hopefully people will post the, you know, the, the resolution. But, you know, try to get a feel for whether it seems to be widespread or just a couple of issues here and there, which are always going to be the case with any piece of hardware. So those are just kind of some initial thoughts. Now, as far as the actual hardware goes, uh, I thought I'd start with talking about retail computers. And this, I don't mean build your own. That's really a separate issue in and of itself. But retail computers that you buy off the Internet from Dell or HP or something you buy in the store at Best Buy or someplace like that, you know, most of those computers are going to work, but really what you're going to want to look at is to look at the, you know, at the bits and pieces, <laughs> at the, at what makes up those, those particular boxes, if you can. And so I've broken some of these things down into different, into different sections just to kind of give you some, some general thoughts. And, uh, you know, obviously this is, this is just my experience. This is what I have found. And, you know, other people may have other experiences with some of this hardware and may have different opinions on things, but, you know, for example, the, the audio, you know, the built-in audio or the sound card that comes with the computer. For most computers these days, I don't see this really being an issue for the most part. If most sound cards these days are Sound Blaster compatible cards, and those are well supported under Linux, you know, how to actually get it configured using ALSA or OSS, that's a, that's a software issue. But whether or not your Linux distribution will recognize your sound card to begin with, for me, I have not really had an issue. I even have a USB sound card, and that works okay, and I'll talk about USB stuff here in a minute. But for the most part, I have found that, that, that at the hardware level, most sound cards uh, seem, seem, to be, seem to be discovered and, and supported. That's not 100%. I think I remember Link on the Linux Link Tech Show talking about a sound card problem he was having with, I think, maybe one of his laptop, laptops. I'm not sure, but... So, you know, this is not 100%. Nothing is 100%, but these are just kind of, you know, some general ideas. Now, for the video, though, that can be somewhat tricky. 
the three biggest video card makers out there, from from what I understand, are ATI, which was, of course, just bought by AMD, by NVIDIA, and Intel. Intel, from what I actually just heard recently, I think maybe on Twitter or another podcast, Intel's got the largest share, if you can believe it. They've got like 40 or 50% of the market. And that's because, obviously, they provide a whole lot of built-in uh, video chipsets for laptops and for uh, desktops. Uh, I have used all three of these brands, in, NVIDIA, ATI, and Intel, and I have found the Intel and the NVIDIA ones to be the, the best supported and ATI to be more tricky, but it is supported. Now, there's really kind of two different issues here. One is whether or not the video card is recognized and, you know, at a 2D level, whether or not you can just, you know, get a graphic, you know, a graphic screen at all. Uh, and I think all three of, all three of these makers, for the most part, there are drivers in the uh, Linux X server in Xorg that will at least get you going. I mean, there's even a driver, you know, Visa, which is kind of like just a generic video driver that seems to work on almost every single card. But really, for most, a lot of people, what they're really asking about is 3D support. And, you know, Intel's chips, their integrated chips does have 3D support, and I've mentioned this before. There are some, some of those are now open source. I have a laptop, it's a Dell 700M that has an integrated Intel chip in it. I think it's the 845, if I'm not mistaken. And that uses the, um, the i810 uh, driver in Xorg, and that works fine. It works great. It's got 3D support, and I mean, it's not, it's not great, but I mean, it works. I can play, I can actually play Quake 3 on that game, I mean, on that laptop, and it plays really well. NVIDIA has got fantastic 3D support in Linux, but it does require you to use a proprietary driver. So it's not a free driver, but it's very easy, and it's very well supported, and there's a bazillion resources out there on how to get NVIDIA drivers to work in Linux. Uh, a lot of distributions will provide a package for you, or or you can go to the NVIDIA site and actually download a a uh, a script, a, a package from the NVIDIA site that will that will build the kernel module and everything and the driver for you. And same with ATI. It's been several years since I've used ATI. I had an ATI 7500, I think, at one point, and that now I believe I'm pretty sure there's a there's an open source 3D driver for that. But for the newer cards, I keep hearing over and over again that that ATI's drivers just are not really there. They're just hard to configure, hard to get working, and that's just what I've seen. I don't have any firsthand experience on that, but I do have experience with NVIDIA and, and Intel, and they both generally work very well under Linux. Uh, the next little piece of hardware that I was thinking about was was um, Ethernet cards, or you know, your hardware, your your networking, not wireless, but just your regular Ethernet port, Ethernet card. And again, I have never had a problem with an Ethernet card not working. Uh, I have heard of some people having issues with Enforce chipsets. Those are the in, in NVIDIA motherboards. So if your computer's got a built-in NVIDIA board, or NVIDIA chipset on the board, that the Ethernet uh, driver, I think it will work. But I believe again, you've got to go to the NVIDIA site and get the proprietary drivers for that for that Ethernet card. But you know, this is interesting because. I, you know, you hear sometimes that people say Linux, you know, hardware is not supported in Linux as well as it is in Windows XP or, or Windows 2000 or something. And for some things, that's true. But for a lot of things, that's just not true. I mean, here's an example. I just recently installed Windows 
XP for somebody on a Dell 4100, I think it was. I mean, it's a two or three years old, something like that. Not, you know, not that old. And Windows X, this was a, this was not using the system restore that came with the computer because that, you know, those system restore disks include all the kinds of drivers you may need. This was just a fresh, you know, an actual off the shelf copy of Windows XP on this Dell computer. And it installed fine, but a lot of the hardware wasn't supported. I mean, the Ethernet card was not supported. The video card was not supported. It just gave me, you know, really, you know, I think it was 800 by 600, and it was just really low-bit, you know, graphics. And one or two other pieces of hardware weren't supported. I don't remember what they were, but I thought it was interesting that the Ethernet card did not work. Well, I had uh, also tried Linux on this computer. I uh, booted up with a live CD. It might have actually been the Ubuntu live CD, now that I think about it. And everything was configured. I mean, you know, there was no 3D graphics, of course, but but you got full 32-bit, you know, full-resolution video graphics. The Ethernet card worked. All the USB stuff worked. I mean, everything worked. So a lot of times hardware will work better in Linux than in Windows, I think. It's just that the third-party vendors will provide drivers for their hardware for Windows, whereas, you know, they won't provide those drivers for Linux but the Linux community has done some amazing things at getting hardware to work. So anyway, that's Ethernet. For the most part, I think that most Ethernet cards will work just fine, whether they're built-in Ethernet ports, which is what I have on all my computers, or whether it's a standalone card that you buy. I have bought some Netgear standalone Ethernet cards for my... I've got a hardware firewall box that's got like three Ethernet cards in it, and that those all work just fine. So Now, the next one is um, hard drives. IDE or, or SATA drives, CD-ROMs, DVD-ROMs, all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to talk about RAID because I've never done anything with RAID, but every single hard drive I have ever used in Linux has worked just fine, just in and of itself. And same with the CD-ROMs and DVD-ROMs. I have heard some issues with SATA drives. I don't have any of those. And I think generally the problem is more on the distribution end because some distributions support SATA just fine, and I think it's not that difficult to do. It just you just got to enable in the kernel. Uh, so again, I don't have any experience with SATA drives or RAID, so I can't answer that specifically. But as to your general run-of-the-mill IDE IDE hard drives or CD-ROMs or DVD drives, I've bought many over the years, and they've all worked just fine. USB and USB 2.0. And, and USB devices, I should say. I'll just throw in here sort of generically USB devices. What you ought to do is go to linux-usb.org. I have found that most USB cards or drivers or, or controllers work fine, but whether or not USB devices work is another matter entirely. A lot do. I'd say it's probably, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but say 80% of USB devices seem to work just fine. But occasionally you'll run into some that don't. USB sound cards, I think, are somewhat tricky occasionally, although, like I said, I have one that works pretty well. Uh, and so, But that linux-usb.org site has a database of USB devices. So if there's a, if there's a strange USB device that you're thinking about purchasing, you know, I would check into that. As far as USB... Um, you know, uh, USB sticks, memory sticks, or USB MP3 players. Again, those kind of, you know, are sort of over, across the board. I have found that I've got three different USB sticks, just memory sticks, and those all work fine once they're mounted as just regular old FAT32 drives. As far as MP3 players, I just posted about this the other day in the forums. I have an iRiver 790 
and an iAudio 5, and both of those work just fine under Linux. But I think I had to upgrade the firmware. Gosh, I'm trying to remember now if it was for the iRiver or the iAudio. I think it was for the iRiver. I know what it was with the, the iAudio. I had to upgrade the firmware just for, you know, bug fixes, but you can only increase the firmware under Windows, which was, I thought, ridiculous. I think the newer firmware you can do under Linux, but the iRiver and the iAudio 5 work great. The newer iRivers, the ones that begin with the letter T, like T10 and T20 and T30, I have heard that those do not work because those are using that proprietary Windows whatever that stuff is called about, you know, being able to play Windows audio. I forget what it's called now. Um, but those, I think you can get a third-party firmware, and those will then be supported as a, basically what you're looking for for those devices is something that will be mounted as a USB mass storage device because then it will just be a removable drive, you know, FAT32 drive that you can just mount and unmount and drag and drop. And again, the iAudio 5 is a fantastic little MP3 player. I picked it up based on the recommendation of Pat from, from the Linux Link Tech Show. He bought one last year sometime and talked about it on the show, and I thought it sounded awesome. And that's my day-to-day player. It plays all my podcasts that I listen to. It plays MP3s, AUGs, and everything. It's just it's just a great little device. The navigation isn't nearly as user-friendly as the as the iPod, but uh, once you get used to it, it's it's not that bad. Okay, so that's USB. Firewire is another uh, is another issue here. Out and out for this, I would also go to Linux1394.org. They also have a database or listing of Firewire devices that seem to work fine. I have a little shuttle type. It's not really a shuttle, but it's that you know it's that type of box that has a built-in Firewire port on the motherboard, and it works fine. Uh, I have a Firewire digital video camera. It's the Canon ZR something and that's a firewire device and that works just fine that's the extent of my firewire experience you know we've used it on the mac with our ipods but uh, that's my wife is using that on the mac now and i haven't tried i've never actually tried mounting my ipod under linux i just don't really care to use my ipod anymore so anyway let's see uh next one i was going to mention were monitors and just very briefly i have not had any issues with any particular monitors I don't know of any website that talks about monitors specifically. One thing I would do, though, is whatever monitor you have, what you might want to do is Google for the, the you'll see these settings in the in the xorg.conf file. That's in slash etsy slash x11 slash xorg.conf. That's the configuration file for the X server. And you can set your, what is it, horizontal sync or vertical sync, you know, your the, the horizontal and vertical uh, frequencies, and I don't even know what they are exactly, but they're usually a range of numbers like 50 to 100 or 30 to 50, and you can find those on the internet. So if you want to uh, update your xorg.com file with those specific numbers for your monitor, that's something that I usually do. Now, for printers and scanners, whether they're USB printers and scanners or whether they're parallel printers and scanners, what I would do for, for printers, I would go to linuxprinting.org. And for scanners, I would go to SANE, that's S-A-N-E-Project.org. Those two sites have also these, again, these databases that people maintain that users contribute to, explaining whether or not particular printers or scanners uh, work under Linux. I've got two printers. I've got an HP 1300 LaserJet, and I've got a, what is it, an Epson, several years old, 960C Color Inkjet, both of those are USB, and both of those work just fine. 
I've also got a USB Canon scanner. When I was in the market for that scanner, I went to the same project site and also to the USB, the linux-usb.org site, and uh, just Googled, I mean, just searched those databases for the printer, I mean, for the scanner I was thinking about buying. And I also searched in the forums for the distribution I was using and, um, you know, again, just, you know, found, narrowed it down to a list of one or two that I really wanted to buy and ended up just getting one of them. But that's kind of, you know, the thought process you want to do is look at these sites and look at the community resources that are out there for the different pieces of hardware and you'll find something that works just fine. Lastly, on the, uh, on this type of hardware, keyboards and mice, again, if it's USB or if it's a USB mouse, I would look to the USB websites. But I've, again, I've used multiple keyboards and multiple mice. I currently have a wireless Logitech mouse. Gosh, let's see what, I don't even know what model number it is. I'm looking at it right here, but it's one of those, you know, five button rechargeable wireless mice and uh, it works great. I didn't have to do anything to it. And same with my keyboard. I've got a USB keyboard and it works just fine. Now for laptops, that's kind of another whole story. And what I would do for, if you're considering buying a laptop is a, is a couple things. Well, first of all, of course, go to the forums for your distribution and search again. That, that should always be one of your very first things. But what you also should, should do is check out, there's two websites. Uh, one is linux-laptop.net and the other one is tuxmobile.org. And both of those have links to pages that users maintain where they describe how they got a particular distribution working on a laptop. I've got a page that are in, that's in both of those sites for my Dell 700M that, uh, people, people like to, people go to it every day. I get tons of visitors to that every day, even though the page is two or three years old, but I just have kept it up there. And, and you'll find hundreds, if not thousands of pages on all kinds of laptops, uh, and how they get, how people have gotten different distributions to work. As a general rule, just in terms of makes, I have had several Dell laptops, and I've always been very happy with them as far as Linux compatibility goes. The quality of the laptop's another story, but anyway. Um, a lot of people say that the IBM ThinkPads, I guess now Lenovo ThinkPads, are probably the best supported under Linux, especially the older ones that were made by IBM. They really, um, you know, focused on that, and uh, so ThinkPads are always good. I've heard that some some of the HPs are good. I had a compact laptop that was a hand-me-down many years ago that was terrible on Linux. It just it was awful. It was just a crappy laptop anyway, but it did not work very well on Linux. Now the the one the issues you'll have with laptops more specifically are the following that I have found. You know, a lot of laptops have built-in compact flash or secure digital media card readers. And I have found that those tend to not work. I have one on my 700M, and I can't get it to work. I don't think anybody's gotten it to work. And also, a lot of times on laptops, you'll have a video out, you know, or a TV out. And again, I have that on my laptop, and I can't seem to get that to work, I, although I haven't really tried very hard. So some of those types of things won't work, but everything else, again, seems to work. On my laptop, I've got, you know, USB, I've got a, you know, DVD drive, audio, of course, um, and that all, everything, everything else seems to work fine. My laptop is also widescreen, 16 by 9, and there's a, there's a little program out there. I'll talk about it some other time, I guess, but it basically patches and replaces one of the video modes with, with the, uh, resolution that you need, uh, for your particular laptop. So even widescreen will tend to work. 
as far again that going back to the makes, I have heard that Sony's, at least older Sony's, tended to not be as as Linux friendly. And I think that's just because Sony does some you know kind of you know uh, wacky uh, drivers and and different. They just kind of do things. Sony's just does things differently. You know they even have their own memory card. You know whatever it is, memory stick, and so. I don't know. I would kind of stay away from Sony's, even though they do make nice hardware. But that may be different now. Some of the newer Sony's might be pretty good. Uh, the last thing about laptops, of course, probably the most important thing is wireless cards. Now, I, I've touched on some of this before in the past. Again, I would Google for your particular wireless card and look under your distributions forums. Again, always start there. But just some more um, generalized things. Uh, you know, NDIS wrapper. There's a list of cards in their wiki uh, that uh, cards that are supported under NDIS wrapper. NDIS wrapper is a little is a little um, program that will basically it it's a wrapper around the Windows driver. It actually uses the Windows drivers that would come with your wireless card or that you could download for your wireless card, and it wraps some code around them so so the Linux kernel can can talk to the driver basically. And uh, it works very well. I've used multiple cards with NDIS wrapper, and I've, I've always had pretty good success with them. Linuxant is a company that sells a proprietary version of NDIS wrapper. I shouldn't. I don't know if it's proprietary. I should say it's a it's a you know a paid version of NDIS wrapper. And I think what they do is they you know give you some support and things like that. So that's a possibility. And then there's a there's a page out there, and I'll put a link to the show notes. But it's a page. It's a great wireless page. Uh, it deals with wireless tools, which is uh, another package that's needed for wireless cards in your Linux distribution that should be installed by default if you install anything wireless related for your distribution. But this is a great website that um, contains tons of links to the other, to the open source wireless drivers, like the Intel ones I've talked about, the IPW2200, and like the Prism 54, and some of the other drivers that are out there. Um, that are native, native Linux wireless drivers, and just a whole bunch of other resources. It's a page put together by a, by an employee of HP, I think, and it's actually sponsored by HP. Though I, I think the wireless tools package, in fact, is sponsored by HP, if I'm not mistaken. Those are just some of the issues with regards to, to laptops. You know, it's again, kind of, kind of generalized, I know, but those are, those are just some of my thoughts. The last thing I'll mention here before I wrap up is uh, Linux-friendly hardware vendors. There's a great thread on Elixir that I'll put a link to in the show notes where people have put together, started putting putting together a list of Linux-friendly hardware vendors. And, you know, I have never purchased anything from one of these companies, but I am really seriously thinking about it, especially after this whole Lenovo SLED debacle, you know, they were talking about supporting SLED on, on the new ThinkPads, and it turns out it's just apparently a, you know, a blank drive, and you have to install it yourself, and it's just kind of nonsense. So there's a lot of really good vendors out there. The three that I keep hearing about from folks, although these are, I mean, there's there's tons of them, but one is EmperorLinux.com, and uh, they sell a lot of laptops. In fact, they sell laptops that you can buy from other mainstream companies. So in other words, they'll sell you a Dell whatever model number, but it will be it'll be called something slightly different, but it's the exact same laptop and they pre-install Linux for you. And I think they have several different distributions you can choose from and they'll support it. So Emperor Linux is one, Sub 300 is another one, uh, System 76 is another one. 
and uh, there's there's a few others. So definitely, well, more than a few. There's lots of others. Definitely check out the, that link to the Elixir forums that I'll put in the show notes in case you're interested in doing that. And I really recommend, if you can, really consider supporting a Linux hardware vendor uh, because I just think that's that's a great way to support the companies that are trying to support us. So with that, I think it is time to wrap it up. Everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was just, you know, kind of like, a, a, you know, a step back to some more basic things. But these are some of the basic concepts that I that I had trouble finding when I first started using Linux. And it seems pretty basic to a lot of us, but I thought it might be helpful to have it kind of all in one place. So let's see. Um, I appreciate all the feedback and the listener tips and everything that everybody's been sending me. Uh, you can send me general feedback and tips at linuxreality at gmail.com. Uh, you can also, of course, use the listener hotline number at 206-338-6359 or the free Odeo web-based uh, uh, voicemail system. Uh, you can find all that information on the Linux Reality homepage in the right-hand column. You'll see the phone number, and you'll also see a link to the Odeo web-based uh, service. Let's see. Next week, I think what we're going to do, speaking of hardware, is we're going to talk about cups and talk about printer sharing in Linux and all that good stuff. So stay tuned for that. Hope you all have a great week. Stay subscribed. I'll catch you all next time. Until then, this has been Linux Reality, Episode 28. Take care. Bye-bye.